God does speak it to us and we look to him to work in us by his spirit as we hear him. So let's pray. Our great God, we do need your help and enabling. Please help us to focus and give attention. Please help us to hear and understand. Uh, please yeah, help us to trust uh, what you speak to us. Please tune our heads and hearts uh, to eternal realities as we hear your word. In the Lord Jesus, amen. It's surprising how clearly and directly John the Baptist speaks about Jesus. I think hearing him speak gets us thinking about how clearly we see Jesus. What do you know about him? Uh, hearing him speak with such confidence, well, how confident are you about what you know? Does that confidence drip out in daily life? We're in all sorts of places, aren't we? Some of us know lots, are super confident. Others are exploring and just kind of trying to work out what it is and whether any of it's true. John's our guide. John, the writer of this gospel, wrote, so we can meet Jesus, know the truth about Jesus, and know and trust Jesus. Today, today we're looking at those two bits uh, that Rachel read, uh, where John writes about John. John the Apostle writes about John the Baptist. Uh, too many Johns, I know uh, some of you uh, find it confusing last week. Uh, so this week I'm going to refer to the writer as the writer, and John the Baptist as John. Uh, mostly the writer talks about John as a witness. His God-given job is to point to Jesus. So actually, I'm going to call him John the Pointer. Uh, verse 15, uh, we heard John uh, say someone coming after him is greater than him. Verse 8, uh, he came to bear witness about the light. Verse 6, he was sent from God. So we're picking up verse today, verse 19, where priests and Levites are sent by Jews from Jerusalem. Now, it's ironic because these messengers are sent by people to question the man sent by God. Let's see how it goes. They want to know who he is and why he's baptizing people. Verses 19 to 23 are about who John is. And messengers ask John, who are you? He confesses, he does not deny, he does confess. He says very, very clearly, I am not the Christ. So presumably some people were thinking that maybe John was the Christ, God's king, God's Messiah, the, the, the promised king from Old Testament times. But John knows very clearly he isn't, and he says very clearly he isn't. So the messengers try again. Uh, what then are you Elijah? Now in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, should be on the screen, uh, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The messengers are saying, is that who you are? John says, I am not. 
So the messengers try again, again. Are you the prophet? The prophet. They're reaching further back uh, to what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, is to him you shall listen. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself, God, will require it of him. God promised a prophet like Moses to speak all that the Lord God commands his people. The messengers are asking John, is he that prophet, the prophet, the one God promised through Moses? John says no. So the messengers ask again, 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 who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John goes to a different bit of the Old Testament. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And it is Isaiah chapter 4, verse 3, which says, A voice cries in the wilderness, cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway of our God. So John's saying what it says. He's gathering its thoughts. John says he is the voice pointing and saying, the Lord Yahweh God, all caps, Lord Yahweh God is coming. Get ready for when he comes. John's just a voice. His job is to make sure the road that God will walk on when he comes is ready when he comes. His job is to make sure the red carpet that God will walk on, the Lord Yahweh will walk on, make sure the red carpet is rolled out when he comes. Now, that's Elijah's job in Malachi chapter 4. Uh, going, it's Elijah's job to go before the Lord and get things ready. So I think this is really John's, nah, yeah. Nah, he's not Elijah the way they're thinking he might be Elijah. He's not the flesh and blood ancient Elijah come back to speak again. But yeah, yeah, he's the one Isaiah and Malachi spoke about. He's the one who comes pointing and saying, the Lord Yahweh, God, comes next. So now the messengers have an answer to take back to the Pharisees who sent them. But before they do, they ask another question. If you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet, why are you baptizing? Now, when John started baptizing, uh, some Jewish people were using baptism as part of a ceremony for not Jews to become Jews. But John was baptizing people who were already Jews. It's part of his message of radical repentance, a, a, a fresh new start. Uh, people are symbolically re-entering and re-identifying as God's people. But the writer isn't giving us an explanation of what John's baptism symbolized. 
And the messengers aren't actually asking what John's baptism symbolizes. The question is, why him? Why is he, why is John baptizing if he isn't the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John the Pointer answers, verse 26. He baptizes with water, but among you stands stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. See, they're asking the wrong question. His baptism is not about who he is. His baptism is about who comes after him. They're asking why he baptizes, but his baptism isn't because of who he is. It's because of who comes next. Actually, it's because of who has already come. See, in verse 26, the one who comes after him is actually already here. He stands among them. But these messengers uh, and the people who sent them, they don't know him. Remember that uh, John has just said that he has a voice pointing and saying, the Lord Yahweh God is coming. Get things ready for when he comes. Now he's saying he has come. And John knows he isn't even worthy to untie his sandals. In that culture, bending down to untie someone's sandals was slave work. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing to have to do it. It was so humiliating that no Jew was allowed to command another Jew to do it. Not their servant, not their slave. John knows who he points to. He knows he is unworthy to reach up to do the lowest task for the person who stands among them. And they haven't even noticed he's here. John baptizes because of who comes next. And they haven't even noticed now that he has come. The next day, John points to Jesus, verse 29. He sees Jesus coming towards him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Old Testament builds the connection between lambs sacrificed and sins forgiven. Passover atonement, uh, daily sacrifices, the lamb's death took away sin. It brought forgiveness for people who needed it. John points to Jesus and says he is the lamb of God. He is the person whose death will take away sin. His death brings forgiveness. But he's no mere lamb. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Uh, We knew he said it because it was mentioned back in verse 15. But this time, John is actually pointing and saying, Jesus, the man over there, there is the man who comes after me. But is so far above me because he was before me. We've just heard John say the person coming after him is so much greater than him that he's unworthy to, to reach up and do that lowest task. That his job is to prepare the way for the Lord Yahweh our God coming. 
Now, as Jesus walks towards him, he points and says, there he is. And it's as if the writer says, this Jesus, he is the eternal word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the eternal, personal, divine creator who gave you life. Come as a human among his people. Jesus is the eternal God who became a human. Remember how John told the Pharisees' messengers that they didn't know him, they didn't know the person coming after him, Jesus? In verse 31, John explains how that he himself didn't know him. He didn't figure it out. He was shown. See, before he was shown, he hadn't guessed, verse 31. I myself did not know him. So look at what John, but so look at what John says about uh, why he came baptizing with water. He came baptizing in order that Jesus might be revealed in Israel. So how does John baptizing result in Jesus being revealed to Israel? Verses 32 to 34 tell us. See, this is how John came to know what he didn't know before, so he could tell Israel what they didn't know before. Verse 32, John saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remain on Jesus. Until the Spirit descended and remained, John didn't know Jesus was the one he was preparing for. But he was waiting to see who the Spirit would descend and remain on. Because, verse 33, God who sent John to baptize with water said to John, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. See, John knows because God revealed it to him. This is how John, this is how God revealed the truth about Jesus to John. When he saw the Spirit descend and remain on Jesus, who knew Jesus is the greater one who was before him. He knew Jesus is the one who will pour out his spirit upon his people. God revealed the truth about Jesus to John. And John's testimony is one of the ways God revealed the truth about Jesus to Israel. That's how God's baptism, that's how John's baptism results in Jesus being revealed to Israel. We've heard John testify. Uh, We hear him again uh, in verse 34. I have seen and have borne witness that this, uh, the man Jesus who is among you is the Son of God. Now, God has spoken about his promised king as his son for centuries. Uh, In 2 Samuel chapter 7, in Psalm 2, God promises a descendant of David who he will call his son. So the Son of God was another way to speak about Messiah, Christ, God's promised King. But the writer has set us up to hear more than that. He's been calling God Father, verse 14, verse 18. He's been talking about Jesus as the only one from the Father. The one who is at the Father's side. 
So when John the Pointer says that Jesus is the Son of God, that title brings together two realities. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, God's promised King. At the same time, Jesus is the eternal Son of the eternal Heavenly Father. God revealed Jesus to John. And John pointed to Jesus standing in front of him and told people who would listen and people who refused to listen, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the eternal God become human. Jesus is the Son of God. So let's flick forward to that other section where John points. Chapter 3, verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus is in Judea with his disciples and Jesus is baptizing. And meanwhile, John's still baptizing and people are still coming to him. Verse 24, John still hasn't been put in prison. So all this stuff with John pointing directly to Jesus himself, it happened between the day that he baptized Jesus and the day that he was put in prison, arrested. Now, that's why the other gospel writers uh, don't mention any of this, because they jump directly from Jesus' uh, baptism and temptation to after John was put in prison. They just ignore all of this. It's got to be said, I don't think John, John the Pointer would mind. He's happy to fade into the background after he's done his job. He's happy to fade into the background after people have gone to the person he points to. See that in these next few verses, verse 25. Uh, John's dis- disciples and a Jew are discussing purification. I'm guessing the Jew went away to find Jesus because John's disciples come to John and say, verse 26, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. They're a bit ticked off. John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. He has what God has given him. He can't have and won't have more than God gives. And God sent him as a witness. God sent him as a pointer. He reminds them, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. I'm here because of who comes next. I'm here because the Christ comes next. Is John frustrated that people are leaving him and going to Jesus? Well, not at all. He's glad. He's rejoicing. He's the not getting married friend uh, who is full of joy on his friend's wedding day. His delight is that they're getting married. He sees them, he hears their vows, and he rejoices and delights in their marriage. John is not the Lamb of God or the eternal God become human or the Son of God. And it is his deep joy and his true delight to point people to him and see people go to him. He rejoices and delights when people go to Jesus. It's what it's for. He's a pointer. When people move on from him to Jesus, he's done his job. So, of course, Jesus must increase and John must decrease. He's just a pointer. He's happy to fade as people go to the person he points to. Finally for today, Jesus is the prophet. 
Uh, verses 31 to 36 are, are the writer's commentary. Uh, he compares Jesus and John, but ends up focusing on Jesus. Uh, verse 31, uh, Jesus who comes from above all is above all. Uh, since chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we've been seeing that. Everything and everyone is beneath Jesus. In contrast with him, John, who is off the earth, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. John's a creature. He speaks out of the limits of who he is. He speaks out of the limits of where he's been. Everything everything he says is shaped by the fact that he is earthly. But Jesus, he comes from heaven. And from heaven, he is above all. Jesus bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Verse 32. See, Jesus' words flow from what he has seen and heard in heaven with God since before the beginning. Everything he says is shaped by the fact that he is heavenly and eternal. Yet no one receives Jesus' testimony. Now, the writer knows that some people receive him, but outside the Christian bubble, that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like no one accepts what Jesus says. But some do. Verses 33 to 36 tell us why it matters. Whoever receives Jesus' testimony sets his seal on this, that God is true. Why does believing what Jesus says declare that God is true? Well, it's because Jesus speaks God's words. Verse 34, Jesus, whom God has sent, utters, speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without measure. Now, through the centuries, God gave measures of his Spirit to his prophets. Uh, John was one of those. Uh, So were Malachi and Isaiah and Moses. God gave them as much of the influence and enabling of the Spirit as they needed for the task he gave them. But to Jesus, he gives the Spirit without measure, fully, completely, without limits. So Jesus utters the words of God. He is the prophet, the definitive prophet. Now, it'd be wrong to downplay those other prophets because of what the writer says about Jesus. John the witness was the voice. He and the other prophets did speak God's words. The comparison, though, is between an ordinary human who is lifted up and given the privilege of speaking a message from heaven and the glorious eternal Son who came down from heaven and is given the Holy Spirit without limit so that he speaks God's words. Through Moses and through many prophets, God spoke, but now he has spoken to us by his Son to whom God has given all things, and through whom God made all things that were made. Verse 35 talks about the Father giving to the Son. God the Father gives this and every role and responsibility to the Son as an overflow of his love for his eternal Son. He gives all things to his, into his son ha, son's hand as an overflow of his eternal love for his eternal son. 
And over and over and over in the rest of the gospel, we'll glimpse just how fully and completely the Father and the Son are united in their words and works. Here they are so united that to receive the Son's words is to acknowledge and recognize that God the Father is true. The focus is on the Father sending and enabling his Son as a speaker. So the focus in verse 36 is on how to respond to God's eternal Son. Nothing is more important. Nothing is more important because verse 36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, to reject Jesus is to reject the Father who sent him. To reject what Jesus says is to reject the Father who says the same things. To reject them is to reject life and light and to provoke just wrath and anger. But to believe Jesus is to believe the Father who sent him. To believe that what Jesus says is to believe what the Father says. And his promise is forgiveness and eternal life for all who trust his Son. Now, if you're inspired by John the Pointer uh, to go and point people to Jesus, good. If you're happy to fade into the background as people see and believe and trust Jesus, great. But those are secondary implications. Uh, The focus is to follow John's finger, uh, to go where he points. Because God sent John to prepare for his son's coming. God told John how he would recognize the son when he came, and John reveals to us what God revealed to him. So you can see with certainty who Jesus is. That Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the eternal God become human, God the Son. He is the Son of God, uh, the the Christ, come to take his throne. He is the Spirit-filled prophet who speaks his Father's words. You can see with certainty who Jesus is. You see with certainty and come with confidence. Come with confidence because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Come with confidence because Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life already. And he will raise them up on the last day. All of us deserve God's wrath and anger at how we, his creatures, have treated him and his Son. We ignore them, disobey them. We deserve their wrath and anger. But any of us can come with confidence to Jesus and know that his sacrifice was enough. Enough to take away the punishment we deserve, to leave us forgiven. Whatever you've done, whatever your history, 
If you come to him, he will not turn you away. See with certainty who Jesus is and come with confidence. If if you and if you have begun to come, if you're coming, if you're following, see with certainty who Jesus is and see your privilege. I think it's worth sitting for a while with John's sense of the difference between Jesus and himself. You know that, that thing about this sandal straps? I think it's worth sitting with it and letting it soak past our thoughts to our conscience and will and passions. John knows he is unworthy to reach up and do the most humiliating task for the God-man Christ Jesus, our Lord. He feels his unworthiness in the presence of the great and awesome creator God. He knows he's unworthy But he's not inactive. He serves. He points. He does what is given him to do. Does it with a sense of privilege. Perhaps you'll find it helpful to sit with John's sense of the privilege it is to serve his Savior. And to let it Color your attitude to living for Jesus Monday to Sunday while we await his return. Serving him in godliness and holiness and ministry and mission, they're gifts, they're privileges that we should get to serve our God, our Creator, our Savior. See with certainty who Jesus is and see your privilege. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do reveal your Son to us as we hear your word. Father, please do help us to see with certainty who Jesus is. Please grip us. Um, Please convince our minds, uh, please grip our hearts with the reality of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the eternal God become human, your Christ, the Son of God, coming to his throne, the Spirit-filled speaker of your word. Father, please see as we see him, please do build our confidence. Our confidence that his sacrifice as uh, the lamb slain to bring forgiveness, the, the sacrifice given to bring forgiveness, that it's enough. That we can come to you and him and he will not turn us away. And Father, please do grow in us a sense of his worthiness and our own unworthiness so that more and more we see the privilege of living Monday to Sunday in service to him and to you.
in godliness and holiness, in ministry and mission. Father, please work these things by your Holy Spirit, through your word, for your praise and for your Son's glory. We ask it through him. Amen.